going on, everybody? Well, this is my unedited intro. Um, what you just heard earlier is actually just a snippet of what I'm working on on the opening song for And the Infinite. It's called Early Times. Um, just for frame of reference, this is what the original version, just part of it, sounded like. Just a, t- just a taste. I know you've heard previous incarnations, but yeah, you know my process. I write the song. I have the song recorded. I sit back. I listen to it and go, this is not <laughs> what I want. And it's, I wouldn't say it's never the singer's fault, but it's, it's just me. I think it's just the process. And I think <clears throat> that becomes very informative. It can be very frustrating for a lot of instrumentalists and singers working with me because they already know that this is the process, that I will inevitably go back to my bat cave and completely gut and transform it. I would like to say for the better, but, uh, you know, um, so yeah, so that that's where I'm at. That's that little fun thing. That's our fun little opening intro housekeeping stuff not really nothing really to report here nothing to see here folks um again if you're if you got this far (laughs) this my name is tc crosser uh for those that don't know the the one person out there that's just listening in i'm a composer producer um writer track of all trades uh the past plus 10 years I was in San Francisco producing a large number of bands and working in composition doing commercials for like Microsoft and working with modern dance companies like Leslie Cedars, Nguyen Dance Company which is now defunct. Um, Yeah and now I live in New York City and I'm when I first came to New York City it was I'm gonna write the next great American musical. I have evolved. No, no, it isn't. I saw Hamilton and then realized. No, no, no. It's it's more. I'm very big on performance art. I'm very big on multimedia. I'm very big on film. And as much as I love the musical genre, I think that what I'm working on and doing it lives in that sphere. But everything I'm working on has has a performative element, an element of live performance. But it also couples with a lot of like multimedia video, things that can kind of stand the test of time. Um, the problem I had was with theater, you only get 50 people at that fucking show, you know, to see it, but then it's over, it's done. And, and I find that you could just record it and release it, which I did that for Paranoid Android, but all it is is a recording of a show. So, so that's. Well, that's long-winded. Um, so that's why I'm out here. I'm in New York. I'm working on kind of more performance art-driven work. Um, and this podcast is... 
So we're finally there. This podcast is called Making Sparkles, Making the Musical Sparkle Pony Bear. Uh, if you've gone through, this is now episode 13. If you've gone through all the episodes, you realize that I've kind of, I'm keeping the podcast alive sporadically at best, but Sparkle Pony Bear is actually, <clears throat> it's, it's the second part in a three-part series I'm creating. And at the time when I started this podcast, I didn't really think of it that way. And I was like, oh, I'll just write this musical. And I'll do a podcast about me writing this musical. And then so much was happening. Um, <clears throat> the previous episode, I'm sorry for the, the coughing. It's just coffee still settling in. Um, I'm terribly sorry in advance for any confusion. Um, if you listen to the previous episode, I did go into greater detail, but I treated it more like a master class because I wanted I wanted documentation of kind of how my process works. Um, it's a process that is unique, or maybe not u- unique, but it's something that I finally kind of realized was my process, even though I didn't think it was my process up until like maybe a couple years ago. Um, so, so what I wanted to do right now is just kind of, well, I'm going to take a break, which is nanoseconds for you guys, but I, I, I'm going to kind of dive into the bigger picture of what's happening with the three projects, what the three projects mean, how I got to the three projects and where I'm at. And so we're going to just start there. I also realized I need to stop telling people as a thesis statement what's happening in the episode because then I always forget shit (laughs) and I don't have enough listeners that are vocal enough find me on social media t-c-c-r-o-s-s-e-r that's t-c-crosser t-c-c-r-o-s-s-e-r facebook instagram obviously soundcloud uh, uh, twitter you know but because of that I'm just going to say what I'm going to say next. And I'm going to ramble incoherently because that's what I do. But yeah. And yeah. And see, I, very subtly, I had a little break in there. It was a little moment. Just had to check my email. Check my stuff. <laughs> so as I kind of... I, sometimes I try to go back and re-listen to these podcasts. I think... The main reason I'm creating them is so that years from now, I can kind of go back. Uh, The defeatist in me says, years from now, I can go back and figure out where it all went wrong. (laughs) The optimist in me says, I found my voice, I found success, and I can go back and see, oh, this is where it all started. But let's be honest, it's, it's easier to focus on the defeat. And... So with the with the projects, originally I had worked on And the Infinite. It kept building steam, but every step along the way it kept just kind of floundering. Lots of different issues. Um and so I started working on Sparkle Pony Bear, and that's where episode one kind of takes place. Uh and I just as you'll notice, I went through a shit ton of male vocalists. I just scheduling emotional conflicts with them and myself. There were a litany of issues that kept just plaguing me. 
And then and the Infinite started having issues. The the co-writer I was bringing on, the team I had assembled, it just nothing was gelling. And as I explained previously, and I'm going to stop saying that. I'm just going to start telling my story now. Uh, I hired a music supervisor. I, I hired Kaylee Drain, and she took a more holistic approach, uh, a more psychological approach to what I was doing. Um, and, and through that process of working with her, and, and yes, I do pay her to do this. This is not something... If you want objectivity, if you want a project manager, if you want someone to help you, you need to pay them. And I, I, I can hear the 22-year-old self screaming at the present-day 35-year-old self, but it's a realization I made. No one else is going to have the same amount of passion in something as you do. And more importantly, if you want someone to be truly objective and honest with you, you have to incentivize that objectivity. And I find paying people to be objective and to give you good feedback is a pretty good motivational tool. <laughs> if you don't give me feedback, you don't get paid. Um, and, and there are caveats to that. I think you still have to find the right person. But I think once you start and I'm not paying an exorbitant amount. You know, I think Kaylee definitely deserves a raise. And because she never listens to this, I could say that. But um, yeah, I think you just, you just, when you bring money on the table, you find more adequate people. And I think with Kaylee, it was not really the money side because I've been working with her since the very first time I worked on a project out here in New York. She's not only a music supervisor, she's a brilliant music contractor. She can get you the best musicians. Um, and also she is the number one cellist I go to for anything. I love her as a cellist and we've known a couple of really cool projects. So, so she had a very, very, you know, she had like seven years worth of experience dealing with me and she went through the entire cycle of crazy alcoholic naive Tyler to crazy alcoholic stubborn Tyler to sober Tyler. <laughs> so there were a lot of things, but through this process, she wanted me to look at the projects not from such an insular, single, singular standpoint, but just big picture. And what I kind of realized was she was like, it's great that you want to write these stories. It's great that you want to do this. I think this is a lot of fun, but, but why? Why are you doing this? Just be brutally honest. When I was brutally honest, I kind of was like, well, I feel like this project is in three separate phases. Or not this project, but my life. What I want to say is three separate stories. You've got one story that's more of like a thought experiment of what is normalcy. What is normalcy to someone that has gone through extreme strife? And that's what And the Infinite is ultimately supposed to be about. It, it definitely didn't say that on the page, but in my head I knew that that's where it was coming from. Sparkle Pony Bear was more of a reflection of being a millennial. Um, it was a reflection of the mistakes and the situations we get ourselves into in our 20s. The fact that we think we know everything. It, it, it's weird because it's... Sparkle Pony Bear is something that 
couldn't have been written until I hit my mid-30s, till I started to kind of see the landscape and realize that the old people I was dogging on in my 20s and I was being so just full of sturm und drang, I kind of realized I was like, I wasn't fully accurate. Like, I, I didn't understand the full ramifications. I didn't understand what true empathy and compassion meant. And so Sparkle Pony Bear kind of talks about that. And then a third project that hasn't been discussed, but I've been discussing with Kaylee just on the periphery because it's part of this trilogy, um, was this notion of like after after the storm settles, you know, um, I really want, uh, it's a, it's going to be a project that really captures that moment when you realize, like, life stuff, when things start to click into place, and you stop going, tomorrow will be better, or the next project will be better, or the next step, um, so this, this kind of, final piece of the trilogy really is kind of about that. It's about when you finally get to a point where you go, no, this is my life. Anything else is gravy. Anything worse is I've already understood and I know how to handle. And and when I had these three projects kind of like laid out, um, you know, Kaylee also noticed, she's like, you love threes. Everything like my music always has some form of dissonant triplet mechanism in it. Um, my pieces, I always love to have like three vignettes in between the chunks of music. Um, it, it's just I'm very motivated by by the triangle, pink triangle, bitches. Uh, and so through that, it was kind of like it made perfect sense that my life's work would be kind of encapsulated in three separate major projects, but. In order to move forward, you have to start from the beginning. Um, Things were too scattered. So Sparkle Pony Bear, I slowly still work on it, and I still add stuff to the mix. (laughs) Well, not really, but I'll just say that. Um, And and that's why And the Infinite has taken such a heavy focus, is because once I started to realize that I have these three separate projects, was also the time point when I started to go, well, what is my process? And then through Kaylee's kind of tutelage, I started to identify the fact that the reason In the Infinite wasn't going anywhere wasn't just because of the people. It was because I was not satisfied with what I was creating. And then through that, I started looking back at my earlier works. Like, for some reason, I kept thinking about, and this actually becomes fairly important in context sparkle pony bear is that um you know i was working on this microsoft commercial and i was working with this director named colin monda and i had worked with colin monda previously when i was like 22 23 and i was living in san diego he's always been based in the seattle washington area um and he had created a short called recycled And I, because I'm industrious, was basically going on crazy. Because remember, this is like 10 years ago. So life was a little bit different online. So I would go on Craigslist. I would find all these people that were posting looking for actors or, you know, cinematographers. You know, anyone that was looking for something for a project they were working on. Because very seldom would anyone ever think to go, oh, let me put in and ask about music. Music especially when it comes to like demos and short films, these guys have so much going on, 
they're they're just gonna throw in music at the last minute or they're gonna figure something else out so i was being proactive i would message about 50 different productions that were on craigslist a day i did that for like two weeks um and just through that i had a lot of responses I'd say maybe about 80% of them were junk. It was just like I would read through, they weren't interested, all that. But then of that, there was like 20%. And there's actually a lot of really fucked up and funny stories in there. But Colin, Colin kind of just piqued my interest because he was getting ready to graduate from school, but he was studying visual technology. So so like, you know, the, the visual effects kind of side. And so he had some really cool concepts. But we never really got along. Like, I think he had such a clear present vision because he's a director, but because I've, I've never actually met him in person. But because of the process, it was just, we just had a very adversarial, like he would have a very clear idea and direction. I would take that and try something with it. And then it was ultimately what was happening was he would just keep pushing me until he got exactly what he wanted. And then you would naturally get to that point of like, um, and so we did recycled. Um, he took my song Plight of the Pretty People from Elevator Music for People Like Mark, which is an album that's never been released. Uh, but the score's there. And he took that and he made a music video with it. Like, we just did some really weird kind of oddball stuff. I think what I realized now later on is that Colin was doing this all just for his demo reel and to like, you know, go into festivals, but nothing we were working on was going to be known as like a legacy project. The problem is, is that when you're like in your early twenties as a composer, everything is your legacy project. Even if you're doing a stupid fucking car, car commercial you're still like oh my god i have to really have to really nail this and that was kind of the scenario that was happening so so we worked on recycle did a music video um later on and this is where i met kaylee i moved to new york and i was working on a tv pilot i had written the script for um but of course i immediately only wanted to work on the music side because (laughs) I'm a composer. I didn't have a showrunner. It was so complicated. And then I brought Colin into the mix because it was very heavy on visual effects. Um, But he never actually came out to New York. He did everything remotely from Seattle. And I think I have to find it somewhere. There's like one video where like I gave him 500 bucks and he got a crane and he took an old antique piano and he hoisted it up like four stories in the air and then dropped it and then superimposed someone looking up, making it look like it dropped. It was, We worked on, I think in hindsight, it's all really fun and it was great. Uh, at the time, it was just very stressful. I was like, nothing is working. No one's listening to me. Everything's up in the air. And, and that's when I realized it's like, directors have a different mindset they're they're they've got something in their head they gotta have it come to fruition there is no collaboration when it's a director and a composer uh it's very rare if you find it you fuck take it and run with it but i uh, more often than not you're dealing with people that have clear or even if they don't have clear they have very strong personality types um so after all of that i kind of shelved it 
went about my day. And then a couple years later in San Francisco, Colin reaches out to me and he wants me to do the score for a commercial, for a Microsoft commercial. Super long, super, super avant-garde. Like he had this guy that was like dressed in like green spandex and he was like playing like a piracy Nazi or a piracy like villain thing. Very, very contrived. And it was like this entire PSA on anti-piracy. And so Khan goes, hey, this will be really good for you, which is my first like, don't ever go to a composer and say something like that. That is, the <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you so much for giving me, doing a favor for me. And I was like, ah. Um, but he gave me a, was it Fleet Foxes? There was some weird band. like, And also, it's also important to note that Colin also has his own little band and he likes his music. I just called his little band. Colin has music aspirations and he does a lot of music stuff. So so you also kind of run into that issue where he's like, well, I know music too. And it's like, well, we both know music. So, so Colin gives me this Microsoft gig and I'm like, okay. But then he gives me this like rock band song and he wants that to kind of be inspired by the the project. And I was just, I couldn't get it to stick. I was like, I... I mean, I was like, dude, you could just buy the rights and put the song in. I And of course, they were like, well, we don't have the budget for that. And I was like, oh, I see. Um, so I came up with one draft. He wasn't happy. I went back with a second draft. He wasn't happy. I came back with the third draft. He liked it. Everything was getting pushed through. And then his team didn't like it. It was just what was supposed to be like a one-week project became like a two-month leviathan of me constantly not being happy getting rejected it uh, it was it was definitely not worth it and then finally I just told him I was like I quit I can't do this man like you need to find someone that can do this exactly the way you want it because I have no idea and then that's the point when he started freaking out and he's like no no no, we got to get this done blah 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 so I finally just kind of muted him like, he had, like, oh, my God, there was, like, 20 pages of notes for, like, a two-and-a-half-minute thing. And, oh, it was just... So, finally, I just, like, fuck him. I took what I did. I completely gutted it, rewrote it. And then I just... I took a couple string players that were part of the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> gave them the most brutally crazy score imaginable and then did double time recording where it was supposed to be for a string quartet but I, but only three of the players showed up so what I did was I took the three players who played their parts but then I switched it so that there was an alternative score that they all three had to play again on top of themselves but because I didn't have the studio and I was recording it in some weird kind of like space for the audio um no one could hear themselves so i was trying to conduct with like the only headphones in it oh my god it was such a fucking nightmare but i took all that and then like literally it was due four hours ago i'm still mastering it at this point um i was in between places i had i'd moved out of the apartment i was living in 
but I didn't have a backup because I'm in my 20s and I'm an idiot. So I was like half living out of my own rehearsal recording studio, half living at my friend Corey's place on his couch. And, and I just clearly remember it's like two in the morning. I'm on Corey's couch that I'm crashing on, on my laptop, trying to mix this thing. And I literally had like a nervous breakdown. Um, this is where Sparkle Pony Bear comes in because I'm with sparkles at this point like this is like kind of the heat of our relationship and the craziness so so I've got this evil midget boyfriend that's like screaming at me and telling me I'm a loser and he literally at one point was like until you show me a check for this project I don't believe you're actually a real musician oh yeah he's a real dick um so I had that I had Colin who wasn't pleased I didn't get the recordings I wanted. It's two in the morning. These things were due like way, way like earlier in the evening. I'm pounding through it. And this is kind of, I'm using this story as an anecdote because this is always how it works for me. I wish I could just write something and be, this is what I wrote. But it is constant revisions, constant completely starting from scratch, completely gutting that finally kind of like bears the fruit, the, the good stuff. Um, so I am thankful for Colin because of Colin, I was able to push through and I got it done. Um, but more importantly, because of Colin and his pestering and his kind of his own way, forced me years later to look back and go, that's the point when my process really started to change. So before what I would do is I'd go in, I'd write out an idea or write something, and I'd just immediately record it, and then that was it. I would be so focused on what I already wrote, I wouldn't separate the forest from the trees. After Colin and that insane experience, I realized it isn't the... it's never the first pass for me. Um, it's it's not the second pass. It's not the third pass. It's like the tenth or eleventh pass of completely going through something and not being not being loyal to what was originally written. I guess is one way of putting it, or not being stubborn or not being precious about my notes, and instead just kind of going, pretending it was someone else that wrote it, and then regutting it. Um, and, and that's why you're seeing on this podcast this kind of evolution as well, because I'm kind of mapping out that process. Um, I, I think my earlier work is very indicative of a time where it was very impulsive. And there are things I love, like my, my album, Notre Moitier, is an instrumental album with string quartet, accordion, bells, and piano. And I still think it's just the bee's knees. I love that thing. And that was all done like one take. I didn't... We didn't rewrite any scores. We didn't make it any easier for anyone. We didn't go, oh, maybe this is missing. We just recorded it and said, fuck it. This is it. This is what we got. This is what we're going to do. And and that was, I mean, <sighs> it was a fun time. It was a drunk time. But, but now you look back and I think that you see, you see patterns. Um, and so again, to come another full circle back, you know, now I'm 35, I'm in New York, I'm sitting in a very nice apartment, and I'm able to work on stuff when I want, <laughs> if I ever get the gumption to work on it, and that's where we're at, and so 
it's those anecdotes, those life experiences that now in my mid thirties, I'm kind of looking back on and I'm trying to kind of push through. Um, so, so through, through the craziness of Colin, through the craziness of the evil midget, through these things, I've kind of come out of the ether. And in my mid thirties, I finally kind of hit this breaking point in a positive way where I'm like, ah, now I figured it out. I kind of crack this nut a little bit. It doesn't mean it's going to make my life any easier. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to all of a sudden come gushing out. It's more of a, it's a feeling, right? It's like a just little, like just the tip, right? Like you feel it there, you know, it's coming, but you don't really know. And yes, I was a very horrible sexual innuendo. And years from now, I'm going to listen to this and be like, oh my God, why am I rambling? But not there yet, motherfucker. So, yeah. Oh, and just for shits and giggles, here, because I'm trying to fill out time and I can do what I want, here is uh, the score I did for the Microsoft commercial. I, th I played it before, One, two, but three, here it is again. talk about my process in writing and further complicated everything as I started talking about these three main projects and where they all fit in. And of course, I'm so scant on details and everything. And it's because I don't know. I really don't know what 
I'm going to make of everything at the end of it. It's why this podcast is literally a process podcast. It's about my process of going through this. It's also why we only have four people listening to this, and I'm sure three of them didn't actually listen to the whole thing. They just heard the opening part because the SoundCloud went, oh, fuck this. So... (laughs) So really, it is just me by myself on here. So, you know, I guess I shouldn't take too much credence in worrying about anything else. But yeah, and that throughout the course of my life, I'm sure I will explain these projects in greater detail and I'll go into all that. But today is really about writer's block. I find that every time I put out an episode, it's because... I, well, writer's block is a really weird term, right? I I don't really believe, I don't believe in the mythos of a writer's block where it's just, you're just, oh, I just can't write. There's always some reason behind it. There's always some motivating factor. Um, For me, it's because my default state, I just want to smoke pot and play video games. And I got woke, (laughs) Because I was listening to one of my podcasts I like to listen to called The Movie Crypt. And for some odd reason, they managed to get John Landis. This I love John Landis for his work. Like American Werewolf in Paris. He did uh, Animal House. Uh, he's, he's a legend, right? Uh, what's there not to love? But he loves talking. And he's so entertaining to hear. Um, and at one point, they were talking to him about his life and about like why he does the things he does. And he's like, you either do or you don't. You either want to wake up and make movies and that's all you want to do, or you don't. If you have moments where you don't feel like you want to do it, then don't because you're not going to make it. And... And I'm paraphrasing greatly. It was like a two-hour conversation, which really was like a master class, you know. But it woke me up. I got woke because I was like, oh, shit. Because I don't... Oftentimes, I don't know the motivation behind creating. Like, I have stories I want to tell and I have stuff I want to do. But Jesus Christ, at the end of the day, I just want to smoke a massive amount of pot and switch between playing World of Warcraft with my boyfriend and playing Overwatch. Blizzard games represent. It's also the reason why I haven't gotten near Automata yet. It's a game I know I will end up spending all my time playing instead of working. Uh, it's why, even though I have the season pass for Final Fantasy XV, I haven't downloaded Episode Gladius. Also because I'm not a big Melee character fan, but still, like, beyond that, it's just, you know, I, I acknowledge. And so sometimes I get through these crises, of, I have a crisis of faith. I, I have this moment where I'm like, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. I'm 35, I've done a lot of work, things I'm proud of, things I'm not, but, like, I, I no longer have this sensation or feeling of having made it. Or this sensation or feeling. I think really what it is, is when I first started working on music and I first started doing stuff. And this is where I had to take a pause. Because naturally when I'm talking about writer's block, I start getting bombarded by phone calls and emails regarding my work. (laughs) So I'm just being honest because I have to regroup my thoughts. Um, 
So yeah, I'm just going to be blunt. Let me just lay it out. When I was in my early 20s, I was a street rat. I was homeless. I came from an insanely dysfunctional family. At one point, I was in the Navy as a naval nuclear reactor operator at one point just to make ends meet. I came out of there because I was gay. I was homeless. I was a drug dealer. I was a nightmare at 20. I'm not a human being you wanted to meet. Even my fashion sense. I, I People later on like your talk. It's like, I used to wear this black velvet smoking jacket and I had jet black dyed hair that was super, super long and I would wear a, a, a necktie over my t-shirt. This is how I looked. I was crazy. And all I wanted to do was be... I didn't want to be famous, per se. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be appreciated. I wanted people to, when I wasn't around, talk to each other and go, that guy is the it guy. He's the guy you go to. He's amazing. He's got crazy stories. Like, like it was partially money, I was always desperately like looking for a buddy. I was always trying to make ends meet, and it never worked out. And then on top of that, I wanted people to love me. And that's what it was. It, it, it took years of just therapy and thoughts, processing and whatever, to finally get to a point where I realized, oh, really what I want is I want to be loved. I want to be loved, but because I don't take any credence to myself as a human being I think the only way a human being could ever love me is through the stories and the work that I that I do um, and when you're in your early 20s I mean this isn't like uncommon but it definitely shades everything there's like this level there's just always this cloud hovering over you because it's like you start working on a project and then you go oh this isn't gonna get me the accolades I want, this, the the singer sucks, or I can't find musicians, or I can't afford the best equipment, or I can't afford the studio, like, I was constantly fucking dogging on myself, and I was scrappy, and I would still get the projects done, but I would be miserable internally, because what I wanted wasn't achievable, and I mean, to be super cliche, it's like, you can't achieve it until you love yourself. And then to that, I say, well, you go fuck yourself, because I do that at least three times a day. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck was I talking about? So so with writer's block, it, for me anyway, it's generally just, I just feel lazy. I don't feel like doing something. Or... I've gotten, I've cracked the nut, like, like, early times, that little intro all the way 40 minutes ago I played, like, that was my thing yesterday, that was my one thing I started really focusing and honing in on, and I got that far, which is like, okay, that's cool, but then I kind of, like, I, I couldn't do anything more, like, I felt like anything more that I pushed on that in that moment probably wasn't going to be usable, so I just kind of killed it, went about my day, um, so what I do now is I have little projects or I do little things to keep me active because usually I'll have like one flagship like right now and the infinite is like all all consuming 
And then what I'll do is I'll be like, okay, I'm clearly not in the mood to work on this today. So I'll do something else. So the other day, I actually created a pilot for a new podcast (laughs) with a really rough draft instrumental score that actually talks about that very early 20 time period of when I was still in the Navy and about this horror, the, well, for better or worse, it's essentially about this this one character in my life that like kind of popped in right as I was coming out of the closet and right before I got out of the Navy and took the plunge into music. Um, and that was really rewarding. It was a little thing I did today. I'm clearly not working, but I'm doing a podcast. So, so I, I think for me anyway, with Writer's Block, it's just about doing something just doing something so at the very least you're experimenting and at the very least you could say you did it i mean so yeah Uh, oh so i'll share that here here's that here's it's really short but here's a little podcast promo teaser i created which will probably never see the light of day for every period in my life there's always been a specific person a character that i immediately recall an actor that performs and embodies what that moment did for me. It's my first grade teacher, Mrs. Dye, who explained what my parents' divorce meant and that I wasn't really learning disabled. It's Freddie the Drag Queen who taught me how to play jazz piano while simultaneously dealing cocaine at Lafitte's in New Orleans. It's Mrs. Everest in high school who gave me my first lifeline and taught me how to occupy my idle hands with the piano. There's one person in one period of my life that I rarely speak of. A middle-aged Truman Capote who preyed on young, foolish boys. A character who delighted in the challenge of a naive, closeted, 18-year-old naval seaman third class in Goose Creek, South Carolina. A person, for better or worse, who would completely alter the trajectory of my story my journey into manhood. And with that I say, let's kill Moffat Daub. So, yeah, I it's got kind of a serial NPR twist. Um and you know, it's just a side thing, right? So maybe and next week, when I have another writer's block moment, I'll go back to it, because I can already, hearing it now again, go, the instrumentation in the opening, I need to add some more percussive elements, so just getting the strings to do some more pizzicato stuff on it, um, probably fleshing that into the the climax point of the score. Like, there's a lot of stuff, right? But it's just a fun little thing. It's like whittling wood for me right? It's equivalent to like people that like, like to knit scarves. I make little pilot things. Um, so, so the, and that, that's just an example. I don't know what's going to happen with it. I don't know if I'm going to do anything with it. And I think that is the, and that's the big difference between me and my twenties and today in my twenties, everything had an immediacy to it. Everything had to be done. Like this has to be the most amazing fucking thing I've ever done. And then I would release it and I would be so upset and I'd be so disappointed. And I was disappointed because it isn't the greatest thing in the world. 
And it shouldn't be the greatest thing in the world. And you shouldn't go into it thinking it's going to be the greatest thing in the world. Those types of things, those types of qualifiers, those happen with time and through other people. I can be very proud of something. I can say I gave something my all. I can't say it's the greatest thing ever done. And, you know, part of these days where... I'm not yet smoking my pot because I have stuff to do, but I'm not feeling motivated enough to work on anything that I should be working on. I ponder these things and I go, oh, and I, I don't think it's no longer like, a, oh, if only I was like this in my 20s. It's more, all right, well, here I am now. What's next? Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through it? Um, you know, so there's that. Uh, another little project, side project, is Jamal Crowell, who's singing on In the Infinite. Um, just for shits and giggles, I'm remaking uh, Nine Inch Nails' Hurt song that was redone by Johnny Cash. Um, I heard Jamal sing a version of it at a cabaret show, uh, and he was talking to me about it. And of course, I was like, I love covers, and I love Nine Inch Nails, let me let me do something with this. So, so yeah. So there's little side projects that I'll also probably have another day. I don't want to do anything, and I will tell you all about it. <laughs> um, well, we're at about 45 minutes. Um, I think we've, we've talked, we've shared some some odd things, and yeah. And I got a lot more work to do. So I, I think I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, is there anything else to plug? No. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, all of them are slash or at TC Crosser, T-C-C-R-O-S-S-E-R, if anyone's listening out there. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. All right, kiddos, uh, have a great rest of your whatever, and I will talk to you soon. <laughs>